0: Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you good, sir?
1: Um, not as cold as what I normally am, sitting in the Mazda Studios.
0: Well, the small favors are what we tend to have to enjoy in our life as we deal with the trials and tribulation uh, tribulations that we, know. Tribble. Uh, <laughs> tribble, exactly, uh, If there is any indication that our episode this week is going to be just a little bit different, we decided to have, instead of a dissection of comic book history or comic book movie history or an attempt to use our completely scientific but not scientific method to break down and score a movie, we are going to have a discussion, which is better, Star Wars or Star Trek? We have a couple of guests with us today to help us determine which is better. We have Jay Sandlin, creator of comic books, voice actor, regular actor, a man about town. He has his own podcast, which is really awesome. If you haven't heard it before, Geekopedia, it's very, very cool. Thank you for coming on with us today, Jay.
2: Thank you for having me. If you're on social media, um, and haven't blocked me yet. It's uh, at Jay Sandlin underscore across the, uh, the Twitter, Instagram. And uh, I, I'm probably about to delete Facebook, man. But if you, if you're on there, I guess you can find me. Um, and uh, my website, jsandlin.com, I'd love it. If you signed up for my newsletter, I promise I don't send out that many, so I won't spam you, but I do put out some cool stuff here. And now that you get to find out in, the newsletter. So join join the click. Come on over. Have some fun.
0: Excellent. Uh, in addition to this very fine gentleman, we have the fantastically talented and hilarious actress Ashley Clements with us today. You may recognize her from the Lizzie Bennett Diaries or possibly maybe my favorite of the group, uh, the Edgar Allan Poe Murder Mystery Dinner Party, which cracks me up every time I watch it. I can't help it. Uh, Thank you so much for coming out and geeking out with us a little bit today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm happy to to represent um, Star Trek because so far everyone in the pre-talk talking about Star Wars. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, And uh, if you want to know more about me, Google me. I'm honestly so easy to find on the Internet.
0: Yeah. In fact, one of the things that you'll find very quickly, one of my favorite pictures, is with you standing next to a, a very distinctive actor from the Star Trek universe at what I assume is an awards ceremony. <laughs> but uh,
3: what's very cool about my life is when you started going, I started saying that, I was like, oh, is this a picture of me with George Takei or is this a picture of me with Will Wheaton? Because I, I, I actually know multiple Star Trek people. Yeah. Um, which is a very strange occurrence in my life. I only met George Takei once. He was absolutely lovely. We presented together at an award show and he'd been prepped clearly that he was going to meet me. And so when he met me, I don't know if he did it personally or if he had an assistant to it, but he knew a couple facts about me. And so he greeted me with those facts. And he had just recently done a show at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego where I went to graduate school. And so he met me and he said, Oh, I understand that you went to the old globe. And I was like, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, it a musical at the old globe.
3: I thought it was the sweetest thing that I was like nobody. And he knew stuff about me.
0: Man, I'd have, I think I'd have melted at that. That would have been just too much for me right there. I'd have been done. I forgot where I was. Are we presenting something? I don't know. Just point me at wherever Luckily, it is.
3: it was a good half hour before I had to do anything. <laughs> I had time to recover. Nice.
0: Well, before we get into the hot and heavy discussions, I'm hoping that we'll begin as at least a moderately civil discourse about some of the strengths and weaknesses of both of these massive franchises, uh, why don't we just take a moment to talk about a couple of the projects that you both have uh, currently going and uh, uh, up and coming. Uh, We'll start with Ashley since we'll go in reverse order. I was, um, you know, I was a fan so far of the wayward guide that I've seen so far, but I heard, I hadn't heard about this other project called uh, Sona uh, that you were working on.
3: Sona is in the past tense. The poster is uh, there. Um, (laughs) But it's, uh, it's available um, on my YouTube. Um, Sona was actually the sort of perfect quarantine project that I imagined two years before quarantine happened. And uh, it's a sci-fi show that was made entirely in almost entirely in my apartment. Uh, and it was really a response to me desperately wanting to be on Star Trek. And so I, I wrote my own. Um, it certainly, Not Star Trek, but it is uh, an ode to, influenced by. And uh, it's about, this is where it's the perfect quarantine project, because aside from making it at home with really just two people, it's about a woman trapped in an escape pod, slowly losing her mind. So people may relate to that now. It was a bit prescient of me, I honestly um, (laughs) didn't, didn't know. And Will Wheaton is in that because he's actually a friend of mine and he makes a cameo because I asked him to. So uh, that's my sci-fi show. And as you mentioned, Wayward Guide for the Untrained Eye came out recently. That's a kind of supernatural werewolfy thing that I play a small quirky character in. And later this year, we'll put out a feature film that we've been working on, which we're describing as kind of Macbeth meets Silicon Beach. It's kind of a tech comedy but then obviously it gets darker take on the scottish play and i play beth who works at a vr company with a bunch of tech bros who don't value her and uh, she gets very ambitious and decides to take over the company and that's called a tale told by an idiot which we are affectionately calling idiot tale
0: oh that sounds like fun I'm gonna have to come back with a Will Wheaton story here in a minute that I've got, but uh, (laughs) you can take this back to him when you talk to him again, and he'll hopefully not remember it at all. But but we'll see. So Jay, what you got cooking up in the books? What's cool that's coming up with you?
2: Well, a lot of cool stuff coming up this year, but what I can really talk about now that uh, it's coming on my mom's birthday, and that's the only way I'm gonna remember this release date is three thirty one twenty one. Uh, I have a graphic novel from Zenoscope Entertainment's uh, Quarterly Tales of Terror presents H.H. Holmes. Now, in the late 1800s, H.H. Holmes was America's first and maybe uh, most prolific serial killer. With nine confirmed kills, but over 200 or more suspected, Uh, he really reigned terror over Chicago. In the late 1800s. Now, in the present day, uh, when bodies start turning up in the Second City in a similar manner, is a copycat on the loose or is it something more sinister? Uh, of course, Zenoscope Entertainment, you know, publisher of titles like Van Helsing, Neverland, Robin Hood, um, really takes the fairy tales and just turns them on their heads. Um, I, I've been really lucky to get to know uh, the co-owner and co-founder, Ralph Tedesco, who's in charge of their television and film department now. And we uh, got together last year. He, on podcasting, he put me in touch with um, Dave Francini, the assistant head editor. I can't keep track of all the titles, but in any event, we uh, have had a really good time putting this book together. It is unlike any comic I've ever worked on because we have two sets of art teams working simultaneously. Uh, the book is kind of split. It's uh, 72 pages. You'll get one graphic novel standalone. It's split between scenes in the 19th century and the present. And each art team took a time period. So they're going to put those together and mesh them. Um, what I've seen so far, I have really liked very chilling very graphic very disturbing not for the faint of heart so uh, make sure you've had your EKG before you pick it up
0: <laughs> fantastic uh, well on that note don't forget dear listeners that you can of course also get a hold of us on social media fairly simply at Real Guys on Twitter at Pudding Guys on pretty much any other media except for TikTok because I don't dance Uh Onward we go. All right. Well, let's start with a let's start with somebody that has literally said almost nothing so far, with a, <laughs> a few thoughts. Um, where do you stand uh, in in the divide between Star Trek and Star Wars? What kind of hits home more for you, and why, Richard?
1: Well, I want to say between the two, and I, I'm not. <clears throat> it's not like I don't like either one, or it's not like. Both of them are the best thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't have that high level of fandom. I want to start with my biases, let's let's say. So when I was growing up, one of my most favorite shows, things that I'd ever watched was Star Trek The Next Generation. So that's kind of, to a small extent, what I had grown up watching in terms of sci-fi, in terms of the Star Trek... Star Wars universe. Did I watch the Star Wars movies uh, when I got a you know a little bit older? Y- yeah, in about the same time frame. But I-, I think from my view, when you look at the two, the two franchises, there's more, there's more of a life in terms of Star Trek, just simply because of the numerous TV shows and the amount of people that are in it, the amount of people that can be in it. There's more potential for things to to happen because of the base that was kind of set up with it. But I think if it was done properly, I think that Star Wars is a better setup. It would be a better movie. It can produce better TV shows. The problem is that it never has really, truly had that opportunity to have the highest, best, production of what the star wars universe could be and when you look at star trek when it came out that was a very fun thing on tv that people got to watch whenever they want to when star wars came out it was a movie you had to go watch a movie right so star trek you could see all all the time you couldn't record it right because you couldn't pop it a vcr and, and record things at that point in time but you knew at a certain time at a certain day of the week that you can go and watch star trek so it was something that you could be inundated to a small extent with but star wars was just a a one-time event and then it became a two-time
0: event felt more special
1: felt more special and at the time when you're watching that on the big screen and you're seeing the things being presented to you on the big screen it's just like we've never seen things like this before we've never had this environment like this before so it had more of that punch it had more of that impact but in this i feel like it at our, at our age, when we've seen 80s movies at their prime, and now we can see 2020 movies at their prime, I think if they made the utmost impact type of Star Wars movie, that it would be better, more fun, more fantasy, in a sense, than the best Star Trek movie. That would be my thought, at least.
0: Counterpoints, Ashley? Ashley?
3: I think I think you make a really interesting point in that one is primarily television and one is primarily movies, and I think that they excel in those different uh, media. I, I I thoroughly enjoy both, um, but I if I had to choose at phaser point, I would choose Star Trek, and I think that that's partly. Because of what television can do, which is join you in your home and have you spend years with it and therefore become something that is familiar and comforting. And uh, you know, they sort of feel like friends. You watch them grow and change. And what you can do in a film is so much more limited. And I agree that that Star Trek has not excelled as much in its films, certainly uh star wars is starting to do quite well with series the mandalorian is one of my favorite parts of the star wars universe but th- they are very different in in that way and I, I honestly in some ways it's such a a false dichotomy to to be comparing them and they get compared all the time entirely because their names are star this like no one is sitting around having a conversation about star wars versus battle battle galactica like or Farscape like we don't do it we we pit Star Wars and Star Trek and they're very different visions of space travel and I think that they both have a lot of merit but I will um die on the hill of Star Trek
0: (laughs) that's a good way of putting it now I know someone that dies on the hill of Star Wars uh just just from our brief conversations already (laughs) is is a Mr. Sandlin what what makes that resonate
2: so much for you well first of all you can call me Jedi Master Sandlin that's fine thank you (laughs) um Just to pull it back here a bit, I agree with Ashley in that I love both very much. Um, They're completely different in many ways. Uh, They're different genres. Uh, One of them, in the case of Star Trek, is science fiction. And the other is uh, more of a fantasy, or more accurately, space opera. So what really is the difference between the two? I don't want to get into that. I just want to get into that. uh, For me, a lot of the love comes from timing and that my dad brought me a vhs of a new hope back from walmart before it was a super center and i had seen all the star wars movies to the point that i spotted the differences when it came out uh, special edition in the theaters but when it came to star trek i was a late bloomer um i guess it, it, it wasn't we, we, we didn't have that stuff in my household, you know. I mean, I'm I'm from the south here. We that uh, that science y spaceship show that's <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was I, I kind of grew up in a, a, a bit of a, a cult that taught me the rapture was so imminent that Star Trek gave me too much hope for a future, so I didn't watch it much until college. And in college, I actually took a class on television where we analyze Star Trek um, every episode of every series and by the time I'd graduated I had seen every episode at the time. And since then I have seen all of Picard, all of Discovery, uh, Lower Decks, Shorts, and all else there is to to have. So I'm just going to say at the end of the day it is a matter of personal preference, one does resonate more in um, serial-style showcasing, like Ashley said, on television. I would say it's not even so much TV as it is the serialization um, and how you get to know and love the characters, and that's why DS9 is always going to be my favorite. Now, Star Trek is on the path to catching up with television, but it also is much more contained because you get fewer episodes than we're used to, So, yeah, that's where I am coming in on this. I will argue for Star Wars primarily because of the roots of the story coming from the Cambellian mythology that George Lucas studied, the hero's journey. And um, it may be laziness, but I am a writer, so that's part of it. Uh, The repetition of the hero's journey and being told through each saga, so on and so forth.
0: That's a de- definitely uh, definitely a fair point, and and kudos to everybody that uh, agreed that Deep Space Nine is the best, because uh, that is certainly my favorite. Um, now, I, I will say this, uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about it uh, in in the spare time that we have between me and Richard, uh, we've 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 discussed this on a number of occasions, and. Uh, Often in in the comparison we talk about, it's like, oh, Star Wars is more of a movie and Star Trek is more of a TV show. But when you look at it, they actually both have 13 movies. So they have the equal presence in the theatrical side. Star Wars actually has a special that uh, Star Trek does not have and has 12 shows with 465 episodes between them uh, over the course of its run. While Star Trek has 10 shows with about 800 episodes between all of the different shows uh, to date, which is just a massive amount of story uh, to, to be able to just inundate yourself and soak in and enjoy. Um, and I think what you were saying, Jay is kind of a lot about how you are introduced into it, how, how it resonates with you. I was introduced with maybe one of the cheesiest Star Trek movies uh, being Star Trek 4, the voyage home was my first, foray into either either one of them really and it's 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 awful but it's fun uh and it's and it just kind of got me on that on that road where i had to watch the next generation when it came out and you know being the age that i was at that time and seeing Will Wheaton playing a child prodigy which i thought i was at that time uh was was really kind of cool and and it was it was something that, that was really neat. Uh, little did I know that so many people didn't like that character. I was like how could you not? I mean he's so good at everything and he's only like what? Eleven? Twelve? Six? I could never really tell. Um but he's- Nearly a teenager, right? Yeah, uh, but I had I had so much fun watching him do that, and that's that. Actually, that brings me back to that story. I have to I have to tell this before we go too far, before I got into the whole podcasting thing, and I'm just uh, you know the standard geek with uh, with uh, a, a a crippling uh, gaming addiction, where I go to Gen Con every year to uh, resupply my board games. Uh, I had seen that Mr. Will Wheaton was going to be at Gen Con. Uh, about a year in advance, and that's fantastic, because my 10-year wedding anniversary was coming up, and I was a big fan, and my wife was a big fan. It's like, well, at the very least, we can go and get uh, get a moment to get a, a, an autographed picture or something like that. I don't know. But it's like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to swing for the fences. So way in advance, I tracked down his email, which he actually had fairly open at that time, and... Send him an email and say, hey, you know, you're gonna be at Gen Con, we're huge fans. Hey, this is weird, you don't know me. I would love if I could take you and however many security people you need to lunch for uh, with me and my wife as it's our 10th anniversary. Uh, you know, that, the whole spiel that didn't make any sense and just makes me sound like a complete raving lunatic. Uh, but, you know, he was, he was very nice and it's like, you know, I'm very busy, the polite way of saying not a chance in the world. But, uh, you know, it's like, well, if you come by, just, you know, make sure you introduce yourself. And he was just so gracious and so nice and just just made it a special occasion. And, you know, I'll forever be kind of indebted to him for that. And it was just kind of a, a nice little indication of who he is as a person.
3: He is one of the kindest, most generous people, and it makes me curious that people give him so much stuff about a character he played when he was a teenager, first of all. So, like, just sit down. Uh, but also, like you, Wesley was spoke immensely to me as a child and is one of the reasons that I fell in love with Star Trek. And, you know, speaking to the whole what were you introduced to first, I think actually the very first thing I ever saw was Generations. But I was very young and only kind of following it. But my brother, who I idolized, older brother, wanted to do everything he did, he fell very in love with reruns of Next Generation first. And then, and then we got very into Deep Space Nine. And so I started watching just to hang out with my brother. And what I saw on screen was like a young person, like a, a cool, smart, young person. And I was a really nerdy, smart, young person. And he was my way in to Star Trek. And. I I also he was basically like the first celebrity crush I remember having which is what I said to him when I met him at a convention actually we were both speakers at that convention, and he was in the first or second season of tabletop his YouTube show about gaming, and they needed like other, I use this word with air quotes celebrity uh, people to play with him. And uh, the convention was run by Hank Green at the time, who was one of the creators of Lizzie Bennet Diaries. And we were at dinner and he was getting all these texts and he was like, oh, I need I need someone else to play a game with Will Wheaton. And I was like, I will play a game with Will Wheaton. What? (laughs) I met him and I was sweaty and nervous. And I said, you were my first celebrity crush. And he said, you like nerds, which is true. And uh, we we became great friends, uh, which couldn't have surprised me more. But we just uh, are are just people kind of on the same wavelength. And so uh, he and his very lovely wife are some of the best people I know in Los Angeles. And it's just absolutely maddening that people are still yelling at him about a character that he didn't write, that he played as a child. But also, I like that character. I will be a fierce Wesley Crusher defender. Yeah.
0: Uh, I I'm, I'll I, I will definitely die with you on that hill. I mean, uh, there there were too many. I mean, maybe not so much the angsty right before he goes with the traveler period. That was a little less fun, but <laughs> that that's not the his date fault.
3: episode. Very awkward. Yeah. but people seem to complain about Wesley because he like fixes things easily, but that happens all the time on Star Trek. Like all the time. <laughs> There's some kind, the warp core is melting down and suddenly, you know, if Geordi LaForge is the one who's like, well, let's uh, move the <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's fine with that. But if the kid comes up with it, oh, this is unbelievable. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> is this, you more believable enough for you. May that I, be I, I, enough yeah, for you.
2: And I am also a big Wesley fan. My One of my favorite TNG episodes, period, even though it sounds like the name of a, potty training book is the first duty and Wesley uh kicks ass in that story um I kind of wish that had been his departure from the series but uh, if he was going to have to have one uh and to that point you know everyone gets upset that a young adult is able to figure out things uh that probably started in the season one episode the battle with the rival Ferengi Mm -hmm. when training, you know, years of Starfleet engineers can't figure out what's going on, but Wesley glanced at some calculations and figured it out, and then he rolls his eyes and says, Adults. And and from then on, it was just like the fandom had a hard on for hating him. But is it really any different than a nine-year-old beating all the seasoned racers at the Boonta Eve Classic Pod Race?
3: An excellent reference.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you.
3: Yeah, I, I mean and building 3PO? like, 3PO? What, what false-
2: I, I didn't think that was that impressive. And I'll say why, because, I mean, yes, he did have an aptitude for mechanics, but in the Star Wars galaxy, maybe droids are like these uh, model kits that you buy that just kind of come and you put them together. It's like a hobby kind of thing. There are nine-year-olds
3: ended a universe. Surely this question has been answered. I haven't read the novels, but
2: I have read the novels. It has not. He he just did it. (laughs) I don't even think in the uh, legends canon. And if we're going to get into Star Trek novels, we might be here a while too. But um, yeah, I've always just in my own head canon figured that there was like a starter kit, or I mean, he obviously lived and worked in a junk shop where he would have had the parts. So it was more like assembly required. That was the big challenge. But, you know, nine-year-olds can put together, you know, scaled Gundams that I can't do. So uh, maybe that's kind of like building C-3PO was like building a Gundam in the Star Wars universe. I don't know. Glorified Erector set. Now, the glorified Erector was when he met Padme, dude. Oh,
0: yeah, uh, uh, we'll, we'll wait to get into the digs on that <laughs> for too long. But, okay, well, let's, let's, let's do this. Okay, we know we love both of these uh, franchises. They have such great points that just will always stick with us and kind of inspire us in, in whatever it is we're thinking from uh, whatever we're creating or whatever we just fondly remember back. Maybe what we should do is kind of give what we think is maybe the high point of one and maybe the low point. Of, of one just an example that just kind of resonates with you uh we'll start with the positive and because you know it's just more more fun for me that way but rich what's a high point for you on the on the star wars universe what if you just kind of geek out on anything at all where does it hit for you
1: that's um that's a hard well i won't say that um let's talk about windows and everything so Side note, um, would you, for our anniversary, uh, send an email to Matthew Broderick? I've I've already tried.
0: I haven't gotten through yet.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's got a whole other story. Uh, But I I guess, okay, so when, now this is not, I don't know if you'd call it necessarily a high point but it gave just the slightest indication, like I said, of what the star Wars universe could be. And when the first three, you know, like we, we watched all the original star Wars episodes, you know, um, when we were four, four, five, and six, when, when we were younger and then we, we thought it was done. Right. And then it kind of got brought back to life again. And when I worked, when I was, I guess able to make a wage, let's call it that. I was running, I was working at movie theaters. I was running movie theaters when they re-released when not re, when they re-released the, the originals and I watched them and I was just like, man, okay, whatever. Those kind of disappointed me because they added things and that didn't really need to be added in, but they added them anyway because that's what he wanted to add in. Okay. Whatever. So episode one came out and it was a big deal. And, and I felt like for a lot of the folks who went to watch the movie, they didn't know why it was a big deal, right? And they just knew it was a big deal. But you got to see, as, as, as quote, annoying as Jar Jar Binks is or isn't to people, as bad as the acting is, because it is bad, um, as cheesy as the storyline is, you got a real indication of what a Jedi could do. With their powers, you got an indication of what a Sith apprentice lord could do with their powers. You got something that was visualized in front of you of what a the universe could look like and feel like, and it was a tease because it it just wasn't what you really wanted it to be. Now you have mentioned, Ken, you've mentioned before that of those one gets a bad rap but is it, it is arguably your favorite of the bunch and you just get all these teases in one two and three of what the world looks like and could look like and be there's just a letdown with all the other nonsense that goes with it so i i want to say one of the high points besides the the mandalorian because the mandalorian i think is on its way up to being one of the highest points is that you got that just that tease of what the real knights of the republic let's call it type thing where it's there's plenty of jedi out there they have powers they can do lots of things they are the ultimate police good guys quote good guys you know they're not good guys to everybody um (laughs) in the galaxy so that was one of the things that really got me excited to watch that. Because as a person who worked in the movie theater, I could stick my head in the theater and watch the same scenes over and over and over and over again. And I definitely did. You know, when uh, Revenge of the Sith came out, it's just like the, the opening sequence where they're flying around in the spaceships and stuff like that and having a little battle. Fun. But it just... The technology back then isn't what it is now. So to see that scene and them flying around and having the, the interstellar battle right outside the planet, the scope of it, it was just really, really, really cool. And to be able to watch it as much as I wanted to also really, really, really cool. So those were, those were, I say for me at the time, the high points.
0: What's a high point. Uh, what's a high point on the side of the forest for you, Ashley? Well, i
2: I'm,
3: I'm- of course, you know, enjoy the movies immensely, but I do think that 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 the the Mandalorian is has absolutely warmed its way into my heart the most. It, I, I think that has the most emotional resonance for me, and I think that's partly because I would die for the child. Who I will refer to as the child in case someone is listening to this and hasn't watched the second season yet. I don't know. I'm being very nice. Um, Spoilers. Oh, yes. I should have said something. For you. But, um, and, uh, and you know, say what you will about this, but my, my favorite Star Wars movie is Rogue One. And, uh, and I think that's partly because it's, um, it's absolutely feeding off of the world and, and the emotional resonance that's been built by the other stories. I think as a complete standalone, my cat is making an appearance for those of you who are doing this on, on the video version. Um, the uh, so you know I, I think Rogue One does not sort of stand independently but but in that um, that emotional resonance that's been built, I mean I I wept when you know the, the, the sacrifice made it's such a moving story and I do think that 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 might be something that Star Wars excels at more than Star Trek is really punching into that emotional resonance and, um, I'm not saying Star Trek has never made me cry, but I think Star Wars probably has more, um, if only just the tears I shed, worrying about the safety of the child.
0: I like it. Now I know Jay has got to have at least a hundred different really good examples of this that hits home to him, but what what do you keep with you more than anything else if you had a scene or an aspect that really just kind of Makes you smile inwardly every time you think about it. With Star Wars,
2: All right, I'm talking Star Wars and not Trek. Correct. Okay. Okay. With Star Wars, um, I'm gonna just go into a bit more of what you guys have already said, and we've we could probably talk about the greatest hits, but to talk a little smack, I think that something Star Wars might edge out a bit on. Uh, make that kessel run just a little bit shorter is having some of its best moments in more recent times not fed on nostalgia and it's not about the effects it's more about the story and uh spoilers if you haven't seen the end of the mandalorian but i'm gonna go there uh luke skywalker coming to save the child to save grogu because it, he not only does he show up again as we last saw him in Return of the Jedi, same costume, same cloak, same green lightsaber, which is a hilt that I have on my shelf, um, along with the others. And he, you see him become what Yoda taught him to be, you see him doing what Yoda taught him to do. The last thing that Yoda taught him was pass on what you have learned. And he, he saves a little Yoda and it's got the heart. It's got the action and it's the, it's the completing of the circle. It's just like what Vader said in episode four, the circle is now complete. The forces balance and Luke showing up uh, like a do Ex Machina, but it made perfect sense in terms of the saga uh, that he was able to save a little Yoda Maybe, we don't know where he comes from yet. We're going to learn about it. I want to learn about it. He might be the love child of Yoda and Yaddle. And that's why she had to leave the council after episode one. Uh, it might've been a, a Lewinsky Clinton situation. I don't know. That would make a whole other <laughs> different story. But, with and then R2-D2 came and put the seal on the scene with his comedy and his action. So yeah, I've been watching it over and over again. Um, the score, the effects... Luke taking out a room full of dark troopers, which fans of the expanded universe and the original LucasArts games remember as the antagonist from uh, the Dark Forces games. Um, I would challenge Star Trek not only to find uh, an equal moment, but to find it in some of the most recent canon. Because uh, you've got a few to pick from, I and I know what they are, but uh, I'd like to hear your side of it.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a little different. For me, the things that um, stick for me with Star Wars specifically are, are moments. It's, it's all about a moment that does something to forward the plot or does something to create a bit of character development that you might not expect or is out of character, or is just cool enough to just kind of draw you in. Um, uh, and as much as I might make fun of the, the prequels for, for the, the many mistakes that were made in that, there were a couple things that were done that I just thought were, were just nuanced and, and really, really neat. Um, you know, some some of it's just kind of uh you know, like Darth Maul, the double lightsaber, the first time that you see that and the fact that you get somebody that can pull off the acrobatics and uh create a um create a, a combat situation uh through choreography that doesn't look like two old guys holding a stick. That was always one of my big problems with the original series. It's just cuz of the age of the film. It, those lightsaber battles in the original trilogy were not awesome. I mean, they they just couldn't be. Uh, but and that that fight at the end of the the first of the prequels in Episode One that was really phenomenal. That that blew my mind. And then knowing where they have to go with the Darth Vader character, just the moment when he steps into the youngling's room, and let's loose the saber just that little hint it's like man that's that's as dark as disney is ever going to let you get in something like that but it was enough to just kind of convey this he's he's gone uh sort of a moment and for me that that kind of character development to be able to get there so that the redemption arc means something uh it's just that part was fantastic to me that kind of writing what do you guys think are uh, some of the misses?
2: I think the one you yeah, ju- I think the one you just named. <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to take issue with that and just attack my own side like Anakin did the younglings and say that that is the uh, along with the uh, killing of the Sand People, um, it does not make a lot of sense to me that in Episode Three Anakin would literally go from no, he must stand trial to 10 minutes later, kill children. (laughs) So I, I have my own alternate proposal. We never actually see him kill the kids. We know that there was still good in him. It was even before the Mustafar burning. I'm going to propose. He used his lightsaber to cut open a piece of the room and tell them to get out of there and forget they were ever Jedi. And then Luke will later find them and train them. And they will remember that Anakin Skywalker was their savior. Um, other miss is really just kind of Padme's personality. It's, it's on Padme's character, the way it's written, in the fact that Anakin admits to killing women, children, and and all this. And I think um, how it should have ended. The website already addressed that when he, in the scene where he tells her that, and she kind of runs off to the ship, calls uh, calls Coruscant, and says, "Can I have a different Jedi? This one's too murdery and rapey looking." Thank you.
0: Uh, yeah I, I like the alternate uh the alternate uh, definition or the alternate uh, ending to the scene that's that's a nice thought i uh, hadn't really hadn't really gone down that route but uh, you know leave some wiggle room that works for me what what about you richard
1: didn't i show a surveillance video
2: of him slicing up the kids no the surveillance video I I uh, its the, the video no. they showed showed him fight Sinralig and uh the Padawan Y and a couple of others Obi wans he's he said I can't watch anymore and then uh, they do find you know the dead younger Jedi they weren't as young but uh when Padme asks him about it and says you killed younglings he doesn't say I did he doesn't agree. He doesn't disagree either, but... It leaves wiggle room. Worst things have been retcon.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I...
2: I, (laughs) Yeah, the...
1: The the prequels on their own have their lots cringy, cringy discussions, cringy acting, cringy uh, dialogue. Uh, I I I hate sand. I guess you can only act with what you're given, but... Uh, whatever. <laughs> I had, maybe wrongly, I I wrongly had expectations for the sequels. Uh, I thought that they, No, I, I'll, I'll agree, Rogue One is just an awesome movie. I also think Solo is pretty good, too, and it gets panned pretty hard, but I don't think that's really that bad of a movie for what it is. The sequels, though, they're... they're bad. And anybody that can Ken's mentioned this but anybody that can put together a movie that your budgets hundreds of millions of dollars and you have a field of actors and actresses of hundreds of people and characters and you have to have set design like no movie is that bad but in terms of the end result it's just not good let's put it that way right so I, I can't fault the effort in, in a certain sense that was put into a lot of the production. It's just I, I, I wanna say maybe the direction that they were looking to go, which was almost in a sense a repeat of a or a retelling or a, a a similar arc that the original Star Wars went through. And it just it just real disappointing. So in terms of the Star Wars, I I wanna say I want to say the prequels were really bad because
0: you had they, higher expectations. They at least gave you,
1: yes, at least they had a glimmer of something. But the sequels just, man, come on, let's, let's do better. Let's be better. The Mandalorian showed us that Disney can be better. They just need to actually be better. I guess that's my disappointment <laughs> with that.
0: All right. So, what about you, Ashley? What's what's maybe uh, something just kind of missed, didn't hit for you the way that you kind of hoped it would on the Star Wars side of things?
3: Uh, I have an answer for that. But first, I, I just want to say about the sequels, which I enjoyed. But um, but I think the flaw in them is a lack of a cohesive vision. It, it suffers from different directors wanting to pull the story in different directions and there being no cohesive voice. And part of what is such a success about The Mandalorian is that Jon Favreau is a really strong leader. And by the way, if you haven't watched the behind the scenes featurettes on Disney Plus for The Mandalorian, they are fascinating. And they have the the, the whole team of directors and writers working together from the beginning, really cohesively telling the story as a team and and that is partly why it is such a success and that is something that the movies lack but in reflecting on this question because you asked me to think about this before we recorded i my my broader answer in a sort of star wars versus star trek way of what i think star wars doesn't do as well is space politics which is just politics in the universe in which we're in but uh, one of my favorite things about Star Trek is space politics, and I love the way that um, that we meet new people, that there's, you know, I, I love all the episodes where they're fraught over what to do about the Prime Directive and, and first contact and, and those types of situations. And in Star Wars, they absolutely put me to sleep. I could not tell you what happens in a single Senate scene because my brain goes, eh, I don't care. I... Still, I'm not like a hundred percent on the the minutia of the politics of Star Wars. Obviously, some people are fully experts on this, but I'm like, eh, th- those are the bad guys and those are the good guys, and that's kind of all you really need to know, you know. Whereas in Star Trek, it's like there's very different political relationship with the Klingons than there is to the Romulans, and and. So that I think is one of the ways in which I'm always very bored by that aspect of star Wars. And I really love that aspect of star Trek, like star Wars, give me the space battles. You, they excel at the battles and I don't need to know exactly the whole political thing. And again, I could not tell you a single thing that happens in one of those big Senate scenes because my whole brain goes to sleep.
0: Well, they're just setting up for a, a, a later fight scene between, uh, uh, spinning top yoda and uh
3: those guys good <laughs> those guys bad i got it
0: <laughs> no I, I i definitely uh i definitely get that it, it's maybe it's that they're being very realistic that uh that senate stuff True. is boring <laughs>
3: like a, a
0: space <laughs> yeah exactly i like it well since since you were nice enough to flip flop and go into where Star Trek excelled, what is one of your favorite bits from the Star Trek universe that that resonates and stays with you?
3: My very favorite thing that happens in the Star Trek universe is the repetition of a certain type of character that I in my head just tend to refer to as the innocent. But I recently realized they're actually excellent prototypes for neurodivergent characters as well. But those characters to me are data, uh, Odo, Seven of Nine, the characters who are kind of like, what is human? What are your fe- your feelings? I don't understand this. Those have always been the characters that I have fallen in love with, that I have rooted for the most. And um, of course, Spock was sort of the original uh, outside of the human emotional spectrum. And That to me is one of the very special things that Star Trek does, which is take an outside view of humanity and make us re-examine what it is to be human by introducing characters who really question it and study it and want to understand it and want to emulate it. And in that way, Star Trek loves being human and loves being alive because it gives us these characters who desperately want to learn to be like us. Because we have big feelings. And I think that's actually kind of really beautiful.
0: I love that. What about you, Jay? Is there something that similarly resonates from the uh, Trek side for you?
2: I, I just loved what Ashley said about uh, seeing humanity through alien eyes. Yeah. It's a, to paraphrase, not quite as elegantly as she put it. So uh, big kudos for that. Yes, uh, what resonates with me about Star Trek is it begins with an idealized future. I guess you could call it a utopia. That was what Roddenberry wanted. Um, to a fault because as time went on, it got difficult to tell more and more stories like that uh, to the point that with the next generation, they finally had to kind of kick them upstairs and stop listening to them. And that's when the show got really good. Uh, I know that my favorite storyline of star Trek of all is the dominion war. Mm. And that is a storyline that it was, you know, he had passed away, but um, Majel and his estate let them know he would not have been in favor of the dominion war and these planets going to war with each other but the reason that it worked and the reason that ds9 worked so well is because it was outside the outskirts of the federation it was the the frontier and the best episode arguably in the pale moonlight where cisco has to go you know break some rules he has to do some shit picard never would have done safe (laughs) to say to get the romulans into the war or they're probably all gonna die and he talks about how it's easy to be a saint in paradise and that theme gets carried forward into picard which a lot of people are mixed about and I think they're afraid to like it because it doesn't have the feeling of Starfleet. No. But that's the point in what John Luke had said at the time, you know, it wasn't Starfleet anymore. <laughs> and and it's right. Yeah. But Maybe they can find some Starfleet again. And that's what I'm hoping to see uh, coming forward with Picard and that timeline. And if you haven't read them yet, uh, go check it out on Comixology, the Picard Countdown comics uh, taking place before the main storyline of the show, where Picard is working with the evacuation of Romulus uh, and the Romulan colonies prior to, uh, I guess, the event of the, the supernova. And you know how it's going to turn out, but it's a great story. I definitely recommend you check it out.
0: Yeah, you definitely, you have something. You mentioned my absolute favorite episode of Star Trek there. That is You're,
2: yours too, huh? <laughs> yeah,
0: by far. It's,
2: it's, <laughs> it's, it's well, I had a great podcast and then my other favorite, I, you know, got a name, it's the visitor mm-hmm. and I got to have a great interview with Tony Todd, uh, who's a, a gym and. Probably the most intimidating, nice guy I've ever met. But uh, The Visitor didn't have to be a big budget, amazing action type movie. It was just about the story and it was self-contained. And it was also a look at kind of humanity from outside eyes. So we could probably spend a lot of time talking about that. So to to sum it up real quick, I think those are some really high points in how do you take this optimistic vision in the future when you have no scarcity? You know, economics is based on scarcity, but in Star Trek, you live in a post-scarcity society. Should there be any conflict? Well, there is. <laughs> because even when post- even when scarcity is gone, for some people it's still not enough. Right.
0: What about you, Richard? Is there there's something that kind of that kind of sticks with you on the Trek side?
1: Well, if we want to look at stereotypes, right? The quote nerd has become a very popular uh, description. It had a negative connotation to it, right? Um, 80s and 90s, if you were the nerd, you were the outcast. If you're the nerd now, you're just as popular if not more popular because so many things lean to tend to guide yourself towards being a quote nerd whether it's video games whether it's the type of media that's available whether it's gadgets like phones or doing a podcast or streaming things online so being a nerd has it's it's come such a long way when i was younger when i was in you know high school I, like i said i loved watching uh, next generation i, I love watching deep space 9 and and i had a friend who uh was the same way we watched those things. we watched those those shows all the time we got a chance to talk about those things but largely our group of friends we were the ones that played football we were the ones that played basketball they skateboarded we played like street hockey those types of things not the typical folks that you would say are the ones that are the quote I keep saying quote nerds uh, but when some of those movies came out that we could go to the, the the theater and watch like first contract first contact is our is our favorite and when we could take our friends, to watch those movies, and the ones that had never been really fans at all or seen the show or had any history of it, could go and watch a movie like that and be entertained with us as well. I, I thought that was a really big deal, you know when when they come out of the theater and they're like assimilate this, you know, like almost jokingly, but like <laughs> fun, right? It's it, very it just 80s. That that was a big, that that was a big deal because it wasn't just me and my friend who enjoyed watching. It was all of us that watched that, like those types of movies, and really enjoyed and got behind uh, what we saw. Because it wasn't the old, it wasn't the old stuff that everybody thought Star Trek was. It, it took like a step in a different direction, I think, and that kind of got everybody's attention a little bit more favorable towards what Star Trek was and could be
0: well and of course that movie has one of my favorite little small guest star appearances uh of anything seen neil mcdonough in a small part in that film always just makes me grin because i love seeing him in anything but uh but uh yeah it's for me i like the shakespearean aspect of it i love a good monologue and you get that so much more in star trek than you do in star wars uh i if it, if i want that kind of the journey kind of that 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 uh that tread and that battle star wars pretty much every day but star trek if i want to have something that is is going to be kind of feed that that uh um well the monologue the shakespeare feel that that where you're
3: intellectual. T-
0: Yeah, just 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 to take it up a notch and to kind of uh, verbalize what what it is that's going on, especially when it's done very well, is is fantastic. And that's one of the reasons I like In the Pale Moonlight, just that that straight to the camera monologue as as he narrates throughout the course of the entire set of events gives me chills every time I see it. Avery Brooks is just awesome. Um, but he's not the only one that that's done it by far. It, nearly everybody gets a chance to just have that, have that moment where they narrate through their thought process, through where they are in their life and kind of just lay it all out right there for you to look at and analyze and absorb. And that for me, that's the big thing.
3: Well, it's interesting because I think that one of the, I'm sure many reasons that, the show, you know, that that Star Trek became something that was more verbal and Star Wars was more visual is that Star Trek started on television. You were just basically saying that ultimately they have like the same number of, you know, the same amount of TV and and film, but one very much started on the small screen and one very much started on the, the big screen. And there are very different constraints to making things, budget being a huge one and time, of course, as well. So when you have less money and less time, your special effects are just not gonna be as good. (laughs) <laughs> and of course, it was also like the 80s and 90s. So, you know, the the special effects on, spe- you know, I think TNG and Deep Space Nine are fantastic. I love them so much. But the, the they're very cheesy in terms of the, 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 the special effects that they were capable of, but they could talk. And they could philosophize and it. it is, it's so much philosophy. It's so much kind of what does it mean? to be a person to be a human to be alive to have moral quandaries about good versus evil because they couldn't do the big splashy shootout thing and later when they could there was already the built-in sort of foundation that star trek is a talky philosophizing political space show
0: but that kind of also leads into where I think there is a weakness in Star Trek or uh, yeah, in Star Trek uh, as much as they often like to go to those higher levels. They get lost a lot there. There are a lot of a lot more episodes I can think of in Star Trek that are just God awful than I can think of in, say, the Clone Wars. Um, Cartoons that were out, or I mean, admittedly, most of the Star Wars shows are animated. Uh, Only a handful are live action, like the the Mandalorian. But still, I mean, having Janeway turn into a fish at the end of an episode comes to (laughs) mind. Um, It's it's really bad. There there are just a handful of those that that will always even if. Deep There's Space more than Nine. a
3: handful. There's some cheesy stuff in Star yeah. Trek. I'll be the first one to say. There's some things where you're like, "What?"
0: Yeah, that that that's the only thing that ever really rubbed me wrong. Uh, why are we playing hopscotch in a virtual world? Because uh, Quark tried to. Why cheat. are we
3: still obsessed with 20th century television and film and literature? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing was, else came out.
2: <laughs> it was obviously the best era. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What about you, Jay? Where do you think uh, Star Trek could uh, maybe have stumbled in a couple of places?
2: I mean, we can just end the debate right now with three words. Um, code of honor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to go there. Let's just end it there. Yeah, let's just end it there. You guys have a nice night. <coughs> Live long and prosper. uh, and, uh yeah, you know, it's inevitable when you have how, that many episodes of weekly programming compared to planning movies. And yes, you know, it's there are more TV shows now for Star Trek, but generally speaking, we're talking stories told over film. Um, I think a lot of the times uh, Star Trek's failure that they are really correcting now was looking for a good hour or half hour of TV instead of building a great overall narrative that's why you have great episodes in tng say the inner light for example which is fantastic and a showcase for patrick stewart yeah. but then you have to acknowledge after that episode he would have been pretty fucked up for life and probably just couldn't go back to work the next day um same with uh best of both worlds you know you, you do get that one recovery episode and that was one of my favorites as well, because it made, um, it really pulled that in uh, for, you know, the the greatest cliffhanger in in all of Star Trek, Mr. Worf, Fire. There, there had to be at least one episode to follow up from that, even though they were in syndication. They didn't know when their stuff might air, the order at times. So I don't fault them for it. It was just kind of the nature of the beast. But I like... Uh, Now that we have Discovery and we're putting it on a single place, you can watch it in order. You can binge it. You can get real serial with it. So let's get serial, people. Yeah,
0: that's definitely the best way to do it. And I kind of, in a way, envy all of the people that now get a chance to watch these series just from beginning to end, and they don't have to wait.
2: That is interesting. Same same can be said for Star Wars, and you get to watch three trilogies. Whatever order you choose, if you want it to be um, sequential or if you want it to be chronological or if you even do the cool thing that uh, I wanted to do this with my son, but it's not really worked out. But you could watch. um, How does it go? Episode one, episode two, Clone Wars, episode three, Rogue One, episode four, uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Now the Mandalorian, and then maybe you could watch the sequel trilogy. Maybe. Yeah, and where does Han Solo fit in that? That's somewhere before. I forgot Solo. Yes, Solo would be uh, after. And did I forget Rebels too? Because Rebels goes right after A New Hope. Uh, It's it's been a long week, but you you get what I'm going. (laughs) Watch it all in in the order it takes place in the galaxy. You have that choice now. Yeah, that's kind of awesome.
0: Oh. What I know, Richard's got at least one or two stinkers that has uh, <laughs> that he's got tucked away for the Star Trek. Well, I
1: was, I was thinking. Well, I was thinking more a different direction. I was thinking more um, accessibility in a certain sense, right? So maybe it's maybe it's George Lucas in his certain sense of smartness and, and genius uh, when it comes to marketing. Because if you want toys, if you want to have shirts and sweatshirt, you want to have every piece of equipment that you can think of, you can get a Star Wars thing like that, right? It's just so, you can get everything. But if you want a Star Trek action figure, it's not like you can really go to Target and pick one up. It's not like I mean you can in today's age when you can just have everything shipped go on Amazon blah 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 and find those things and you can get them, it, it, it's easy. But I feel like the way Star Trek is maybe marketed, you you just don't have that you don't have that capability, you don't have that desire. Maybe maybe that's just it. Um, maybe the market's different where Star Trek can. Gear more towards the older generation, and Star Wars is geared more towards the younger generation. Which you can do things like toys for, but but even even if you want to see all of the stuff, right? If you want to if you want to see the new things, you can go to now. now Disney's got too much power. That's a whole other story. You know, Disney now owns Star Wars, and they didn't before. But if you want to subscribe subscription service and you pay Disney your seven bucks a month, you're not just getting Star Wars, you're getting all the Marvel stuff, right? So if you want Star Wars, you also get Marvel. If you want Marvel, you also get Star Wars. So you get that extra bit of accessibility at a lower price. I don't know what the CBS All Access is, right? But CBS All Access is one that I feel like if you are spending that money you're probably spending that money specifically for Star Trek, right? I, I don't know I don't know exactly what else you're spending your money on for CBS All Access. Uh, maybe they've had great shows in the past that I've not paid attention to, but you're you're doing it for this for Star Trek and you're paying more to get that for Star Trek. And to, to me, it's an accessible it's just an accessibility thing. I just think that's one thing that maybe has been missed out on you know if you want to buy if you want to buy a t-shirt i can't go to i can't go to target walmart pick up a star trek t-shirt but i certainly get a star wars t-shirt so maybe that to me is something that maybe it's just the nature of the beast but maybe it's just that star trek never maybe they never pushed that to have that capability to have that accessibility
0: star trek doesn't have any money it's a it's a utopia. (laughs) They don't need the merchandising.
3: I don't know. That's true. I don't know enough about the specifics of this to be like quoted on it, but I'm fairly certain that the merchandise rights are tied up in a complicated way because Star Trek's rights are tied up in a complicated way. Like, Viacom owns some of them and Paramount owns some of them separately, even though Viacom and Paramount aren't sometimes the same, but in this case, they're not. Like, Star Trek's rights are an issue, um, and I don't have the full details on that but i do think that that has an impact on its merchandising
0: i'm hoping that this will be the first question that makes sense in every interview you have going forward <laughs> can you explain like 20, the star
3: trek rights you now i'll be like i watched a youtube video on it one time and all i really remember is that it's complicated uh, yeah.
2: well i think we know which fandom won the merchandising war easily
3: Absolutely. i mean but also yeah. by creating much cuter characters i mean uh, yes of course there's you know there's
0: warf is people. the cutest clearly i don't know what you mean
3: but you know like there's no in terms of like for kids who right. want toys what are you gonna make them like Fribbles, like cows
0: although i have to say that i i really wish that would have taken off i mean that's got pet
2: rock level of of marketability I mean, it's to a it.
3: ball of buzz you could calling
2: <laughs> it's it's not very creative i'm afraid no, it's and not. it's a product of the time but um i would would you rather have a lightsaber or spock's uh spock's helmet with the flashlight on top of it yeah you
3: also know that every star wars movie was made with them going and what's the merchandising possibility like that's why porgs exist
2: yeah. that's why those stormtroopers have so many damn variant armors and none of them do anything to protect them but they all have to look well, different
3: They're all just they're all
2: decorative it's rank would you rather maybe the question we should be asking would you rather be wearing a red shirt or stormtrooper armor <laughs>
0: uh,
2: i think
3: red shirts have better chances actually
0: yeah they've actually done studies on that and the red shirts don't die nearly as often as people kind of uh taken
2: wouldn't there be much like way more stormtroopers so i mean like the ratio and the blah 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 and uh, i
3: don't know appears it's pretty much dead. well
0: it was it was something along the lines of considering the number of people that are on the average starship that when you go down in an away mission as the one red shirt your odds of being picked for the mission are particularly low to begin with and there's one of you Whereas when you have stormtroopers, yes, there are more, but there's a platoon and none of you can hit anything. <laughs> you all the just get mowed down.
3: We'll be wiped out. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, one of the hilarious things about Star Trek, of course, is that there's so many people and they're like, we're going to send down the captain and the doctor and this nobody. I'm like, well, captain shouldn't leave the ship. No, I need to go on this mission for reasons. That's
0: right. Leadership best foot forward (laughs) well we know why kirk went down that's because he needs to take a look at what the available dating material is on any given planet before he makes his move ego as well yeah and i must immediately
2: take action you ever get the feeling that kirk was like the least qualified person on the crew I yeah,
3: I mean, I I don't really know a lot of um, especially of my generation Star Trek fans who are really into the original Star Trek, which is interesting to say about a franchise that that the thing that launched it is not its most successful part because I think that that's I think the opposite is true for Star Wars. I think everyone still holds up the original trilogy as,
2: pinnacle that is such a great point i don't think i've ever really thought of it that way and i like the original trek a lot more than some people but i do see that a lot of it is unwatchable now and some of it is just really kitschy and fun like uh probably kirk fighting the gorn more than anything or uh the styrofoam boulders man but uh man for me um in original Trek, it, it is hard to get better than classic sci-fi for uh, City on the Edge of Forever mm. and those kind of gems, but they are probably more the exception to the rule, yes.
3: It was inventing a genre. It's really very impressive what they did, but I think it's interesting that mm-hmm. that maybe what has grown out of that genre uh, and and that franchise has really only continued to improve.
0: One thing that stuck with me, I don't know if any of you are anime fans at all, but uh, one of my favorite series, uh, The Irresponsible Captain Tyler, I I kind of, as soon as I watch that, I go, that must be what Captain Kirk was. a guy that just one day decides, I'm going to join the military and I'm going to be a captain and just lucks into it. And no matter what happens, no matter what he does, everything just turns out right. And you can't ever really explain it. And everyone loves him for it. And It's just kind of it, it that's kind of sixty. yeah. That, skilled in the art of luck, yeah.
2: Sometimes that's all you need. Uh,
3: and people want to complain that Wesley's a boy genius,
2: <laughs> probably a, a, a more well known example than Captain Tyler. Um, and one that I love, uh, Zaf Brannigan off Futurama, who right. basically is Kirk with the dial turned up. <laughs> That's Turned a great character. A oh man.
0: So okay, so let's have a kind of final row of where you think that uh, where you think that the death blow is for where where why your series is your favorite series is better than the other, and you will probably never have your mind changed because of this one thing, and it does not have to make any sense at all. Let's let's start with Richard. You, what is um, what is your favorite, and how is that how is that going to be completely illogical?
1: Okay. Um, tribbles are cookies, not creatures, and um, lightsabers.
0: The end. Okay.
1: Does anybody does anybody know what have they eaten? Tribbles before? I have no idea
0: what you're talking about. Okay. Look him up.
2: Sorry. <laughs> right. That's a new one.
3: Okay. I don't even know what side he took.
0: I thought he was going uh, with a Soylent Green reference, truthfully. I wasn't sure. Yeah. We had extra tribbles. We turned them into cookies. I don't know. Yeah.
2: So what I'm you'll saying al- is... You'll always have extra tribbles. Yeah, sure. yes. They're
3: still powering replicators. <laughs>
2: Nonsense.
3: Everything is tribbles. That's...
2: Tribbles all the way down.
0: That was my favorite short The of the... the the t- short yeah. track
2: It's definitely, def- definitely one of the favorites. Yeah. John Benjamin, I think wasn't yeah.
0: it. He, his voice is, is just awesome to begin with. And just to have him be the, the one guy you don't want to work with, that it creates a thing that you don't want. <laughs> that was just, that was beautiful. What about you? What's that sticking thing that will always have, have star Wars be that thing? Because star Trek just has this one awful thing. You, 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 you said something a minute ago. Elaborate with the Code of Honor. I think that was where you were going before.
2: Oh, are you talking to me? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's been a, long, been a long week. I understand. I, I think I'll just sum it up like why uh, Star Wars wins. Um, because when Star Wars... Star Wars high points are great. And when they have the low points, they're not great star trek's high points are great but their low points fall much much lower and i hate to hit below the phaser belt it's mainly because there's just a lot more to choose from there are a lot of episodes but it their misses probably miss more than your average stormtrooper and we already talked about that some with code of honor spock's brain um, you can pick episodes from every series, um, though. Just the, the 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 jury may still be out on Discovery. Probably some of the first season episodes were a bit weaker while they were finding their way. In um, but uh, what was what was their one that was just really weak? For um, one night in sick bay, yes, I'd also throw that one out there. I, I would just say there misses miss more and leave it at that okay well,
0: that's that's fair criticism what about you Ashley why why is Star Trek going to stay above Star Wars to you what's that one unforgivable sin that Star Wars makes that that just knocks it out of the way
3: I mean I love them both and I'm gonna keep watching all, all the things that they put out you know so like it, it's it's not a, a fatal flaw in either of them but I think that for me, Star Trek is a little bit more of the thinking person's sci-fi. And as Jay said, is Star Wars even sci-fi or, you know, bit fantasy? And so uh, I think that there's absolutely room for both. Yep. But if we're going to have a fight to the death about it, I will take a phaser over a lightsaber.
0: That range is kind of nice. Plus, you know, it has a setting for everything. I'm
2: sure there's like a, a stake setting.
3: I yeah you can stun a stake and it's just medium rare
2: now a phaser on kill mode can eviscerate pretty much any humanoid life form however a lightsaber can cut through anything except for certain alloys so that being said wouldn't the lightsaber deflect the phaser and hit it back on the instant, or whoever.
0: Not at all. If you see that guy with the lightsaber, there's the setting on most phasers that has a wide disbursement beam. So you can try and block uh, a single phaser stun, but if it's coming at you in a wave, you're getting this little bit and you're getting hit with the rest of it.
2: Uh are that...
3: talking about fighting a gun with magic, which is just not really a very fair. Well, I true. mean,
2: that's what Jedi do, you know. I, mean, I know. I'm sorry,
3: <laughs> saying these—you these, can't really put them against each other because magic will win. It's—it's it's magic.
2: Yes, that's true. Well, well, thank you for handing it to us, we'll Ashley. I'm you I'm, will just I'm pull agree. the gun
1: out of their hand before they even shoot. So
2: yeah, that's it.
0: I, I agree that Magic will win until the Borg arrive <laughs> and assimilate. Star Trek some Jedi. actually beat Star
3: Wars through diplomacy, that is where they excel.
0: <laughs> that's true. The the Senate I'm takeover never deep. occurs with uh Emperor Palpatine because he can't bypass the, the Federation's ploys to keep him at bay. <laughs> uh well I want to thank uh Thank you both for coming on to the show. It has been such a delight to talk just nerdy nothing for a good hour about the Star Trek and Star Wars, two fabulous uh, series of movies and shows that feature some fantastic writing, usually some less fantastic, some other times actors that are giving everything to create these worlds that we can enjoy. And it's, it's just something to help us forget about life for a minute or at least to view it in a different way that helps us cope better uh any closing thoughts from anybody uh, before we hang up our hats and go have a beverage of choice Tastes good i like it how about you jay
2: anything else Thanks for having me. Uh, like we said at the start of the show, find me on social media at jsandlin_ underscore. Find my podcast, my newsletter, my website at jsandlin.com. I have got some upcoming animation project gigs that are coming out, uh, some voiceover work that I've been working on, and the date is 3 21 for uh, Grim Tales of Terror, H.H. Holmes from Zenoscope Entertainment. Uh, what's it going to be a copycat killer on the loose or something even more sinister. I really hope you pick up this book. It's 72 pages from eight amazing artists, uh, not to mention the three variant cover artists who have done such a great job uh, filling out the pages in, I-, I think they're probably less than 60 days. Wow. Inks, colors and everything. That's the pace that they move. What I do is um just so easy compared to them. And I am in awe of all the artists that I work with and, uh, gosh, uh, uh other this year, you can also expect, uh, in July, my title, um, gen Hunter, a fantasy series from black box of a, uh, gen hunting down some dark gin and a uh, world-class, my young adult graphic novel on European soccer is coming out later this fall. And keep an eye because there will be more announced for this year i'm going on very little sleep right now (laughs) sounds pretty awesome thanks guys i appreciate it
0: well
3: until self-promotion well yeah uh, i have a patreon Mm -hmm. and uh i'm all over the social medias and again just um google me i'm making it just the tiniest bit harder because if the reason you want to find me on social media is to yell at me about my opinions about star trek or star wars i don't care (laughs) But if you uh, uh, want to follow me for for other reasons, then Google me, Ashley Clements. I'm on the internet.
0: Uh, she is worth it. If you have not seen what she's been in so far, she's fantastic. And uh, I, I've always enjoyed your work up until this point. And I, I fully expect but that. I will continue anymore. to so. <laughs> <so. Thank> <laughs> <you> <laughs> Completely done. I just realized the direction that was going mid sentence. And uh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm tongue tied. It's
3: a, it a real pleasure to disappoint you and change your mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, Hey, all you listeners out there, stay safe. Keep enjoying science fiction and sharing it with everybody. And we will be back again next week.